<laughs> Can everyone see me about here? Yes, sir. Great. Thank you so much to the music team um, for leading us. It's wonderful. Um, Shall we pray? Lord God, thank you that you are here. Thank you that we can sing and speak to you. And I pray that you will speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Tina Koto Katoa, Ko Bruce Tokuinua. My name is Bruce. My family and I moved to Wellington just over two years ago from Zimbabwe and New Zealand, having never been here before. It's been a quite a wild ride, but this church community has been a fundamental part of us settling, and we're really grateful. I've done this before, a long time ago, and never here before. Um, thank you for this opportunity. Please could you, uh, if you've got a Bible, please open it up to uh, Exodus 32, uh, so we can follow along. And I'm going to try and use words that the kids can understand. So if you guys want to join us, um, I hope you can keep up. I'd like to uh, look at this passage in three parts. The first one is about atonement or at one with three pictures about how that works. Second one is about a promise and a warning. And then we come to a picture of what relating to God can look like and some stages in terms of how we might get there. So firstly, looking at atonement. We might think that after all that God has done for the Israelites up to this point in their story, they would be prepared, and by that I mean willing and able, to do what God wants. He's chosen them from all peoples of the world to be his special people. He's promised to be with them and be their God. He's rescued them from being slaves in Egypt. He's saved them from ten horrible plagues. He's made a way for them through the Red Sea. He saved them from Pharaoh's army. He provided food and water for them in the desert, fresh quail and honey bread every day, even if it wasn't as good as the food back in Egypt. And so they arrive at Mount Sinai, that's not Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai, and God gives Moses 10 commandments in writing on stone, including, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself an image. You shall not bow down to it or worship it. And what happens? Moses takes too long coming down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And while they're waiting, the people think it's a good idea to make a golden calf and worship it. Surely we would not have done the same thing. God is very angry. And Moses tells the Levites to kill the 3,000 people who were involved. It's important to realize that in doing this, the Israelites were not acting out of character. It's not some kind of mistake that they happened to make. Oops, we just happened to take off all our golden earrings and throw them in a fire, and this golden calf just came out, and we just happened to have a huge part around it. When they have the opportunity, they choose to do this and act on their choice, and they show what kind of people they are inside, not so interested yet in doing what God wants. God is wanting to relate to them as his chosen people, but they have not yet changed to be willing and able to relate to God as he said that they should. And the rest of the Old Testament continues this story, them saying that they want to, they will follow God's ways, and they don't. And so we come to 
uh, our passage. The next day, Moses addressed the people, You have sinned an enormous sin, but I'm going to go up to God, and maybe I'll be able to clear you of your sin. Moses went back to God and said, This is terrible. This people has sinned. It's an enormous sin. They made gods of gold for themselves. And now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase me out of the book that you've written. God said to Moses, I'll only erase from my book those who sin against me. For right now, you go and lead the people to where I told you. Look, my angel is going ahead of you. On the day, though, when I settle accounts, their sins will certainly be part of the settlement. So Moses asks God if he can atone for, which means cover over, the people's big sin so that the people can be at one with God again, either by dying on behalf of or along with the people. And God says no. The Old Testament generally teaches that the person who sins is responsible for and will be punished for their own sin, not someone else's. And we know someone else later on where that changes so how does this relate to us we might think that after all that God has done for us each of us up to this point in our story we would be prepared and by that I mean willing and able to do what God wants he has created each of us to be his unique representative in the world and promised to always be with us he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place so that we can be forgiven of our sins. He raised Jesus to life again to show that death has been beaten. He's given us the Holy Spirit to give us strength and guidance and comfort in living for God every day. He's given us food and drink, clothes and shelter every day of our lives. He saved our lives from dangers and sicknesses so we can be here right now. And Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And what happens? When we have the opportunity and choose not to live how God says, we show what kind of people we are on the inside, not yet interested in doing what God wants. God is always wanting to relate to us, but in some ways, we may not have changed to be willing and able to relate to God even though like the Israelites we say that we want to and we will follow God's ways and in some ways and at some times we don't. Why? Why is this? I think there's a number of reasons. We do make mistakes. No one is perfect except Jesus. We are in a war. We have an enemy who is always trying to get in between us and God and and messing with our hearts and our minds. And maybe it's also because of the way that we understand what Jesus has done for us and how God wants us to relate to him. For example, you might have heard someone say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. If you would like to have a relationship with Jesus, to invite Jesus into your life so that you can go to heaven when you die, Just say this prayer with me. How do we think that this belief and this forgiveness actually works? It raises other questions about what God is saying in this passage. Like, does God have a book? 
is my name in the book? Is my name still in the book? Or have I done something that might have rubbed my name out of God's book? How do I keep my name in the book? When God settles accounts, will my sins weigh more than the good things I've done so that I won't actually make it into heaven? Maybe my belief or this prayer works like a barcode in the supermarket. I say a prayer and I get a Christian barcode. I am a Christian. And God's scanner sees my barcode and credit goes from Jesus to me somewhere like money goes from my bank to the shop somewhere and then I can walk out. My debt has been paid. It doesn't matter if the ice cream barcode is on the dog food. It makes no difference to God's scanner. That's what he sees. I'm forgiven in God's sight. My debt is paid. I don't have to do anything else. If this is how we think, it works. It, there's no basis for a relationship with God or for any kind of change to me, for me to become a different kind of person on the inside. I'm done. Or you might have heard someone say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? And so I might think, well, if hell is real and there's a big fire there, it's worthwhile getting some fire insurance. And it's free. Who wouldn't? The free gift of God might be like a boarding pass that I hold on to while I wait for Jesus to come back and take us all away from this sad old world to somewhere much better. But why is he taking so long? Bing, bing. Hut City Airways regrets to inform passengers of the delay in departure of flight JC-123 to the Pearly Gates. Further to previous updates provided, we have no further confirmation on the actual departure time of this flight. We apologize for any inconvenience caused. So while I'm waiting, I need to be entertained in the departure lounge. And if another airline's departure lounge has better entertainment or nicer coffee, I'm out of here. Again, relating to God, becoming a different kind of person who actually may enjoy heaven when I get there, doesn't need to come into it. What do you think heaven will be like? What, we, what will we do all day? There'll be no night. What will we do all day? If we think that heaven is all about us, doing what I want to do, all day, every day, forever and ever, whether that's lying on a cloud, eating ice cream or pizza, going skiing, whatever it might be, I think we still have some changing to do. To be clear, please don't, un please don't, uh, understand, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's n anything wrong with asking Jesus to be part of our lives or being sure of where you're going after your body dies. But I am saying the way that we talk and think about the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, is sometimes incomplete and it focuses on certain things about being a Christian, becoming a Christian, which may be unhelpful to us in terms of relating to God for the rest of our lives, which will go on for eternity. So maybe the question should change 
to, if you were to live forever, what would you do? Who would you live for? What did Jesus say about this? From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Another way of saying this could be the way God works, where God is working, is available and accessible to you in a brand new way, right where you are, through me. Review your way of living based on this incredible new opportunity. Maybe a picture of that will help. Can you imagine what life was like before electricity? The only way that the only kind of electricity people knew about was lightning. It's very powerful, but it's very unpredictable and it's not at all helpful. But if we can put electricity into wires and batteries and take it to people's homes and schools, a completely new way of life becomes possible. It changes everything, dark and light, hot and cold, dirty and clean. And so it would be like saying to people, repent for the kingdom of electricity has come near. Now please understand, I'm not saying that God's work and God's power is like electricity. But in this picture, what would people need to do to participate and benefit from the kingdom of electricity? They need to believe in it. It doesn't mean understanding everything about how it works, but making some changes about how they live. You don't need candles and wood stoves anymore. Some people might say, no, no, that's impossible. Other people might say, thanks, but no thanks. We prefer the old ways that we know. But others might say, I would love to learn to live with this. And so Jesus' invitation is, come, follow me. Learn from me how to live your life right where you are as I would if I were you. Some time ago, a bunch of people got really keen on what would Jesus do with these bracelets to remind us in every situation. It's a great question to ask, but the point is not about what Jesus would do. I think the point is about becoming the kind of person who could do the kind of things that Jesus did, like loving our enemies, controlling our anger, trusting God that everything will be all right because he's looking after us. We can want to do what Jesus does, like wanting to play rugby like Geordie Barrett, or throw a shot put like Dame Dame Verily Adams, or run like Nick Willis. The easy part is to get the same kit as them so we look like them. But we all know that they have a particular kind of life that enables them to do the things that they do. And the same with Jesus. We can decide to order our lives in particular ways that help us to practice doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. Or we can choose not to. I love this quote from the beginning of Matthew in the message. The story of Jesus doesn't begin with Jesus. God had been at work for a long time. Salvation, which is the main business of Jesus, is an old business. Jesus is the coming together in final form of themes and energies and movements that have been set in motion before the foundation of the world. Every day we wake up in the middle of something that is already going on, that has been going on for a long time. Genealogy and geology, history and culture, the cosmos, God. We are neither accidental nor incidental to the story. God is working on an amazing project to make everything in the universe, including my life and your life and everyone else's life, exactly how he wanted it to be in the beginning. 
Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. And he's here, moving in this place, turning lives around, healing every heart. And, I, and he invites me and you to join him in this project. That sounds like something eternally worthwhile that I would love to put my energy and time into. It's not a barcode that's processed. It's not a boarding pass that I hold on to. It's an invitation to a way of life that I step into and live as, with God's help. Paul writes to the Romans, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Whew. Right, we need to move along to the promise and the warning. God relating to us, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that you are not on your own. I will be with you. The bad news is but I won't be with you in person. You're such a stubborn, hard-hearted people, lest I destroy you on the journey. This is not ideal. This is not what God had in mind when he created us and the world. Sin is a big deal for God and for us. He, that's not the way he wants it. And so thirdly, we come to a picture of what relating to God can look like. God spoke with Moses face to face as neighbors speak to one another. To me, that's a wonderful picture of how we can relate to God. An ongoing, interactive, conversational relationship with God is very different from scanning a barcode or having a boarding pass. And it's so much better than being led by God but not with him in person. I wonder who spoke first. Was there ever an awkward silence? Did Moses' God tell jokes? What did they talk about? One thing that neighbors, about neighbors is they live next to each other in the world. And so when they're catching up, they may ask, how are things in your world? Which means, how do you see things? When I worked as a consultant, one of the questions that we used to build relationships with clients was, what keeps you awake at night? Would you like to relate to God like this? If you talk to God, what do you talk about that God is interested in? If God talks to you, what does he talk about that you're interested in? Do you know what, God, what keeps God awake at night? Are we able to relate to and understand about what he says? Do we care about his view of the world? We call it a relationship, not an asking ship two beings who, have, who share each other, share others' ideas with each other, interests and concerns. This idea of sharing views of the world or not made me think of a number of stages that parents and children go through. 
It might be a helpful way of thinking about what stage you and God are at in your relationship. So one of the pictures of God in the Bible is as a parent, and we're his children. It's something we can all relate to. We don't all have children, but we've all been children of various ages. And if thinking about this is difficult for you because of your experience with your own parents, I'm sorry about that. But in this picture, God is a perfect parent, unchanging, endlessly loving, knowing everything about how the world works, unlike human parents. And as children, we're the ones who change. We grow in our ability to comprehend, to communicate, to converse even, and then to commune and share. It's possible to be old in years and a baby with God. And maybe that's what Jesus meant by being born again. So quickly, we start off with a baby. There's the little undefined world of the baby. I yell and gurgle and the parent doesn't really understand. And then we get to the infant. The parent is talking lovingly to me and I start to understand some words. When I grow to be a child, I'm old enough to understand some more of the world. The parent shows me more of the world, but I can't understand what the parent's world is like. What does your mum or dad do all day? And then we get to the teenage stage. I can understand more about the parent's world, but I don't want to because it's not relevant, it's not important, it's not cool, it's not fun. And then we get to the adults, and I haven't got to this stage with my own parenting journey yet. We've developed our own lives and worlds. We can understand and relate to each other and others if we want to. And we share ideas and meaningful experiences. And then we get to being old friends. There's time for comfortable silence. We can share sometimes thoughts and ideas without even exchanging words because we know each other. There's still surprises. I've been married for 22 years and you still say, what? You think that? I, I thought you would. How would you say that you and God relate now? How would you, and God, how would you like to relate to God? Whatever the case, I think that he would like to share more of your world and for you to share more of his world. Maybe, maybe that's because I'm an extrovert. I don't know if God's an extrovert or not. But it's not because he's lonely or needy. It's because he loves you and he made you for that. As we close, if you feel a tug in your heart to do something based on this morning, that could be God. Maybe you felt it before. Are you going to try it again? Of course you can speak to God and hear from God anywhere, anytime. Sometimes it might be helpful to speak to God and listen with someone else. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you made us and you want to relate to us. Jesus, thank you for opening a way for us to relate to the Father. Holy Spirit, thank you for your help and your power and your comfort on the way. Amen.